Bereshit, Bera, Elohim, et Hashemaim, ve'et ha'eretz. Repeat after me. Bereshit, Bera, Elohim, et Hashem, ve'et ha'eretz. Bereshit, Bera, Elohim, et Hashemaim, ve'et ha'eretz. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The word of God. Well, amen. It's good to see you guys. Everybody that remembered to change their clock. So uh, I think uh, cell phones have helped us with that. If you use that as your um, alarm, because it changes automatically. But back in the day, there'd be like five people here. And then people coming in and looking stunned the next hour. So... I'm glad that y'all are here looking, uh, looking as good as you can. Some of y'all still aren't smiling, but I appreciate it. That last song we sang, the, uh, theme, the, that theme, that verse is Hebrews 6.19, which I opened my Bible to so I could read it to you. It says, We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. And so uh, I am so thankful. You may open your Bible to Genesis 1, uh, or actually Genesis 3. Um, uh, when last we met, uh, everything was wonderful. We had a man and a woman without sin in a garden planted by God without thorns, without problems, without sickness, without any of the things that causes trials to us these days. And yet, they blew it. And so, the story begins to unfold beginning in chapter 3 of what man's going to do and what God's going to do. And uh, we have the rest of the Bible and it's all starting right here in Genesis 3. And so we're in this whole theme of, of uh, in the beginning God uh, out of the book of Genesis. And today we're looking at the liar. And, uh, and, and it might not be everybody you thought. Uh, there might be more than one player uh, in this. And here's what I want you to take home with you today. Never doubt in the dark what God revealed in the light. Now that's, that's not original. Maybe you've heard that a thousand times before. But it is a good, good theme for your life. Because it is so easy to doubt when you can't see the way. When, some, when God has already given you the way to go. And he expects us to plow through. That's what patience means. That's what hope means. Patience means a confident endurance. Uh, hope means a confident expectation. And so God gives us that. I, I just got to tell you, my, my personal journey, uh, I grew up going to church. Uh, uh, both Pastor Stephen and I will tell you, we, we were going to Baptist church nine months before we were born. I uh, just been there the whole time. And, uh, but as a teenager, I almost became a legalist. Now, you're, if I say that word, you're probably wondering a couple of things. One is, why are you talking about a legalist in the garden here? And then secondly, you might be wondering, what is a legalist? So let me tell you, a legalist is one that says, this is the way you got to do it. And that's the only way. It's someone that is hyper-focused on the rules. And not the rules are bad or that we shouldn't have them. But they're hyper-focused on it. Another word for them that has been stolen is fundamentalist. Now, I am a fundamentalist. I believe in the fundamentals of the faith, but I'm not a fundamentalist. And here's the difference. A fundamentalist has no fun a lot of damn and very little mental. All right? But I'm a fundamentalist. I believe in the, in, in the basics of the Bible and what God has said. But a legalist is someone that will add, add layer upon layer upon layer. The, the hierarchy Jews were like that. Between the Old Testament and the New Testament, they 
wrote a book of rules about how to keep the Ten Commandments. God was pretty clear. He said it succinctly in Ten Commandments. They were like Congress. It takes them a, a thousand pages to explain one sentence, okay? So they have this huge book, like you can't walk this far on the Sabbath or whatever. And as a teenager, I almost became one of those guys, one of those just hyper-focused on rules. And thankfully, uh, I realized that a friend of mine helped get me out of that. A faithful friend helped me, and I returned... But as I have, have realized in my life that faith is always a decision of my will. You see, the enemy of fundamentalism isn't liberalism, it's faith. You live by faith or you live by the rules. And if you live by the rules, you go to hell. It's according to the Bible. Just read the last judgments in Revelation. He opened the books, the books of works, and nobody in those books get to go to heaven. And so we struggle hard to be holy by legalism. But holiness is a gift from God that enables us to choose him rather than our own will. It gives us the freedom to obey God. And man failed the test at the very beginning. If you think I'm a little off base with that, uh, I, I marked at least one verse that will help you. And that's Galatians chapter 3 and verse 1. Because those guys were having the same problem. And here's what Paul said. Oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you this. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by the works of the law or by hearing with faith, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness? Well, this morning we're in Genesis 3, and I want to read the first seven verses before I start looking at the text here. And so if you want to stand up, let's do that this morning. Uh, got a shorter passage. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and there was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she gave also, also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of your word. And Lord, as, as we as, as servants humbly bow before you now, we pray in Jesus' name that you would open our eyes of understanding, behold wonderful things out of your word. Lord, I pray that you would anoint my, my lips, my tongue, that as I speak, it will be your word, not my word. Uh, Lord, guard me from saying my opinion and help me to uh, see what you say in your word and all of us to understand what you have for your saints. Lord, we thank you in Jesus' name for all of these things. Amen. We, we also sang, y'all can sit down. We also sang a song this morning that said, In Christ Alone. 
And, uh, and you need to keep that concept. That's the opposite of what I was talking about earlier. That all of our hope is in Christ alone. Well, here we see the origin of doubt. Doubt is what allows this other stuff to come in. Uh, you wouldn't be a legalist if you really trusted God. And just to put it in a quick sentence. And uh, here it says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. A lot of people have wondered, what did that serpent look like back then? And we're not entirely sure. Um, I have my personal beliefs, but it's just a thought. It's an idea. I have no way to prove it, so I'm not even going to say it. But, it. but obviously the serpent was different than what we think of as a snake or serpent today. Because God changed it, altered its form. But the Bible does state something here that we have to take just on its face value as absolute truth. Out of all the things God made, the serpent was the craftiest. Now that doesn't mean he went to Hobby Lobby a lot and knew how to make stuff. It, it meant he knew how to fool you. He knew he was a good liar. He was, in fact, Jesus in the New Testament calls Satan... The, the father of lies says he lied from the beginning. In the beginning, in the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth. So since, since, and we don't know exactly when Satan fell from heaven, when he rebelled against God. He was a created being. He was uh, the highest archangel, we believe. And that he rebelled against God. He thought he was all that and a bag of chips. And so he, re, he rebels. I know that was an old reference, wasn't it? He, uh, he, and so he rebels against God and God takes him down. He says, no way, Jose. And, and, and here's something as I've looked at this, I realized though the devil causes us to sin, Satan stands outside of what we're doing. Satan has no hope of redemption. Satan has no hope of salvation. And, what, and what, what I'm getting at is that we think of Satan as ruling hell and all of that. No, hell is his final destination, the lake of fire. He doesn't rule hell. God owns hell and hell don't rent. That is where he's going to be punished. Where is the, Satan? We see it in Job. We see it in Peter. He's a roaring lion going up and down throughout the whole earth looking for someone to devour. He's a devourer. He's an he's a evil. He's a father of lies. And he invades the serpent's body. Now, the Bible doesn't say that in Genesis 3. We say it so casually, but when you study it, you go, well, where does it say that? It says that the serpent talked to her. And that's very true. But when Jesus referenced in the beginning Satan was a liar, because in the beginning refers to the Garden of Eden in this event, that we understand Jesus was saying Satan was in the serpent. And so the context helps us to understand that. But he was cunning. He was the most cunning animal that God had made. And he is possessed by Satan. But he lays a groundwork of doubt. And I want you to catch this. Here is, here is the uh, origin of doubt. And it's in verse, uh, uh, verse 1 uh, still. He said to the woman... Did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Notice what Satan does. He asked for a reaffirmation of the truth, but he, but he couched it in terms that God did not say. God said you can eat of any tree of the garden except one. He said, did God really say you couldn't eat of any of the trees? He's making Eve go on the defensive and explain. At that point, she should have said, get out of here. What business is that of yours? I, I, had a, I knew an older, well, he's older than me. He's not old, but he's older than me. Uh, and, he, and he gave me some really good advice one time, and I've never forgotten it. It's silly. When I say it, you're going to go, what? But you think about it, you'll get it. He told me that your trash can at your desk being full is not a problem until somebody walks in and says, why is your trash can full? Now it's a problem. Now, 
Let me tell you, our pastor's council thinks that way. They say, let's answer questions before people even know to ask them. And so that's what we try to do. We try to figure it out before we ever start talking about it. Because if you ask us a question, we go, I don't know. Then we're going to look dumb, right? Well, I look dumb a lot. But anyhow, that is, that is a smart thing, way to think. But that opposite of what I'm saying, on our side, we ought to be cautious. But on the devil's side, he uses that technique all the time. He comes, oh, God, did, did God really say that? Did he really try to hold that back from you? And he says... Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And so we see the fuel of doubt is Eve's response because Eve explained it. Now, it seems to me this is more of a problem with ladies than men, but, but I'm not sure that's true. But, but what I'm about to say is that many times we try to explain ourselves or things when we don't have to. Now, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a southerner, and of course, people in Virginia are southerners. I come from a little further south than you guys do. And one thing is, we just don't want to offend anybody. Somebody asked, why are southerners so friendly? Well, it's because down there, we didn't have air conditioning, so we had to, and it was really hot, so we had to sit on the front porch, and we couldn't pretend we weren't home if you came by. So we had to learn how to be friendly, you know. If you're a little further north, it's not as hot. You can go inside at night. Well, they'd just be sitting on the porch and they'd come by, hey, how you doing? Oh, we're good, we're good. And we just, you would never want to offend somebody. So you, well, if I have to turn them down to going to that event they invited me to, I, what, what, what can we tell them? Because I just don't want to go, but we can't say that. We can't just say, I'm sorry, I can't attend. We got to say, oh, well, you know, this thing is going on. And we try to explain ourselves, right? And that's more out of my culture than yours, maybe. But Eve starts explaining. Why she got to tell the snake anything? It doesn't have anything to do with that, that serpent. Not a thing. So what business is that of yours, man? That's all she has to say. Or she just had to say, nope, you're wrong. She should not have engaged the serpent to start with. But then, because she's on the defensive, and to me she's trying to explain it, she goes past it. And this is where the legalism comes in. Notice what she says. And the woman said to the serpent in verse 2, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it. It is not recorded that God ever said that. God never told him not to touch it. He told him not to eat it. Now, I believe touching it is because you're lured to it and you, you, you know, ooh, I want to do everything except eat it. You know, I want to touch it and see it and what is it like and all that. And that's the lure of sin to us still today. But God never told her not to touch it. Now, this is where I, how people become legalists. Because I want you to understand something. God gave us Ten Commandments and we couldn't keep those. Then he gave a bunch of dietary and living standards in Leviticus and Deuteronomy because they didn't know about germs. <laughs> they didn't know about bacteria growing in scavengers. And so he gave them a list of things, what not to eat, how to wash your hands, how to do certain things. And he said, and if you do these, you will not get the, the diseases of the Egyptians where you came from. And it was just like, don't go to the bathroom where you eat. Go way outside the camp, do that. Wash your hands before you eat. Get the germs off. You know, and, and there were some things to make them look distinctive. But people, as I said, and so then those things just grew and grew and grew and grew. And, and we forget the purpose. But the moral law of the Ten Commandments 
God's never said, oh, it's okay to kill. It's okay to envy. It's okay. No, those are, those are in force. But nobody ever could keep them. And of course, the Bible tells us in the New Testament, you break one, you broke them all. So even if you say, well, I kept nine of them, that's not good enough. That's still short of God's perfect standard. But God said, if you broke one, you break them all. So Eve decides to add to God's word, and that's what legalism does. It adds to God's word. It's not enough to come to church. You've got to dress a certain way when you come to church. It's not, it's not enough to, to be a Christian. You, gotta, you, you can't even touch people that aren't Christians. Good thing Jesus didn't believe that. Good thing the apostles didn't believe that. He called us to go into the world with the gospel. In fact, we, we've been, you know, we, well, I'm not going to go there. We, our job is to go and tell people about Christ, and Eve exaggerates the point. I, I, I became a student of this when I realized that I almost fell into it, because, I mean, I was bad. And, and I guess I just kind of think that way sometimes anyway. And, and, and it still creeps in. And I wonder, and so I just watch that sometimes. And what I noticed is so many times, people that fell into that and really got into it, and they realized they couldn't be perfect in themselves, they didn't go, wait a minute, this thing I'm trying to do is wrong. They just gave up on everything. And they just go, you know, 180 phase out of what they were doing and go crazy. Why? Well, if I can't keep the rules, what's the point in trying? And, and these poor people have been deceived by Satan and believe in that's Christianity, and it's not. And so they say, well, if I can't be a Christian, I must not be a Christian. And they go crazy the other direction. Eve exaggerated and added to God's word. We should never do that. In fact, if somebody comes to me and says, I think we ought to or I think we ought not to, I say, BCV, book, chapter, verse, show me that. And if you can show it to me, man, I will cheerlead you right on. But if you can't make a case out of the scripture, don't bother Because God does not want us, he says in Revelation, do not add to my word. Do not take away from my word. Right? God's word is sufficient and we need to follow it. Our tendency is to go past it and want to add to it. But some people want to take away from it. Oh, no, no, God's not really there. He's not really angry. He went too far. Now, I, I think touching it would have been a bad thing. Because I believe it was the lure of it that if she had done that. But God didn't tell her not to touch. He told her, don't eat it. But then we see the sealing of the doubt in verse 4. And the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die. He's got her question enough that now he can lie to her and she'll buy the lie. Satan first created doubt by asking the question, let Eve fall into the trap by explaining herself. And then he closed the trap with a lie that would fly, you will not die. Now, well, here's the further what Satan said. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. What Satan did there was give her a motivation for God, and it's a false motivation. God didn't tell him why not to do it. He was told not to do it. They had no clue why he told him not to do it. He did not explain himself. He says, don't eat that. Eat everything else. Don't eat that. And believe me, they weren't hungry. They had plenty. But when she added that stipulation, he knew he had her. He had her doubting what God had said. He had her thinking past what God had commanded. And so when the woman saw, and it goes on and explains. You see, when we're in doubt, a choice must be made. I, I, I sometimes, trying to help people understand this, 
I like to draw this picture uh, in like five frames, like a comic strip. I can only draw stick figures, so, but you just have to imagine with me. A guy gets up out of repentance. Man, he has this sin, and he's gotten rid of it. He gets up out of repentance, and man, he goes trucking. He's like, man, I'm great with God again. And about the third panel, doubt comes in, and questions arise. And so he begins to look, and that would be temptation. He looks at that temptation, and in the last panel of the cartoon, he falls back into a sin. And the question I ask people, I show them that, is when did he fail? And some people say when he fell in. Some people say when he was tempted. No, he failed when he was free to build himself up in his most holy faith. That's where we fail. We don't fail. When, man, if you're tempted, you're going down. It's very doubtful if you're ever tempted that you're not going to sin. And so you have to avoid temptation. What the Bible says, you do need to avoid temptation. But why you are free, why you are confessed up and walking with God, man, dive into the Word. Let God's Word fill you. Psalm 119 says, How shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereof according to your Word. Your word have I hid in my heart, that I might not sin against God. And we have to fill ourselves with God's word. Adam and Eve had very, well, God was meeting with them every day. So I, I don't know what God had said, because God doesn't tell us what he had told them. But they didn't have a whole lot of rules to keep. Don't eat of that tree. And other than that, they're getting to know the heart of God. And Satan casts doubt on the motives of God. He says, oh, he just don't want you to be like him. And if you eat that fruit, you'll be like him. And the Bible doesn't deny that. The Bible says they did no good and evil after they ate it. And God knows good from evil. But what he failed to tell them is it will, it will cause you to die. In fact, he said it wouldn't. And that you will lose any power to resist. You see, when you're caught in sin, it's because you started it somewhere. My wife's mother lives in Georgia. My one daughter lives in South Carolina. My sister lives in South Carolina. And when we go to any of those places, we go south on 81, hang a left on 77, and go down. And if we're going to my daughter's, we peel off on 85 in South Carolina, go to Greenville, or 95 to go to Janice's mom's, or we just stay until we hit 26 and go down 26 to Charleston and my sister's. But if we don't go, want to go see them, there's no reason we get on South 81. Now, of course, I got reasons to get on South 81. But do you understand what I'm saying? Why get on a road that leads you where you don't want to go? We don't go north on 81 when we want to go to Georgia. That'd be crazy. We'd be going the wrong direction, right? You following with me? Don't get on a road that you don't want to get to the end of. Now, but we do. But until you come back to that and realize that you are the originator of that sin in your life, that thing that has now caught you as a slave, is because you, sub you submitted yourself to it once. There was a time in your life when you could have resisted, and now the more you engage, the more you lose that power. God has to restore that to you. He has to help you get rid of that. And, 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 and it's a difficult thing to come out of that sin and back into the, uh, living the life for God. But a choice has to be made. But never question God's intention. God never has evil intention for you. All the things we have in our life, James 1, comes, the, the great gifts we have come from the Father of light in whom there's no variableness nor shadow of turning. He loved you so much, he came and died on a cross for you. God's not trying to get you to hell, he's trying to get you to heaven. God's not out to get you, he's out to save you. I, 
I'm not a good swimmer. And when I was a young man uh, and a pastor, I I did a a Christian camp. I was the camp pastor for a week. And it it was our local Baptist association owned this plantation, and it was a retreat center. And so they were doing life-saving teaching to the counselors. And they needed a drowning dummy. And I said, that's me. That's that's what I can do in water real easily. So I got in the deep water. But I learned something. Listen, if you're drowning, you don't want me to try to save you because I may be able to save you, but I'm going to drown in the attempt. But here's what they were teaching them. They said, when you go to save somebody, many times they will fight you. And so they asked me, you know, fight them really good. So, all right, so I'd drown them and stuff, you know. And they said, when somebody will not accept that help, push them away, back off, and let them drown. Then pull them out and resuscitate them. Just a hint, if you're ever drowning and somebody grabs you, don't fight them, because that's what they're going to do. Because it's easier to drag a limp body in than it is somebody fighting them all the time. And I, I started thinking about that, that God comes to save us, and the more we fight him, the more we drown. We have to just let go. Surrender and submit to God when we find ourselves tender, when we find ourselves in sin and say, God, I got myself in deep water and I cannot swim here. Thank you for coming out to save me and let him drag you back to the shallows and get you out on solid rock again. Never doubt his intentions. God is there to save you and he will save you. But I want you to notice something. We see this sin in three parts. And it's not outlined here. It's outlined here, but it's not spoken of the same way here. This temptation is the same one Jesus went through in the garden. And in fact, uh, it's also mentioned in the book of 1 John. Sin in three parts. Look what he says. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that that it was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise... We have three things there. We have the lust of the flesh. It was good for food. I'm hungry. That'll feel good in my belly. The lust of the eyes. Man, that's some good looking fruit. And the pride of life. I'll be like God. I'll be wise. The same three temptations of Christ by Satan. Hey, you hungry? Been 40 days since you ate anything. You hungry? You son of God, tell that rock turn to loaf of bread. It'll do it. Then you can eat it and you won't be hungry anymore. Lust of the flesh. Hey, Jesus, see all those kingdoms? I'll just give them to you if it bow down to me. The pride that comes there. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes. You can have all those kingdoms. The pride of life. Hey, just jump off this high spot when the angels catch you because they ain't going to let you hit the ground hard. And you come floating down, everybody knows you're the king and they'll worship you. The pride of life. And John outlines these in 1 John 2, 16 and 17. He calls them the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. That's John, 1 John 2. I won't reread that for you. You can read it. And so the fall happens in verses 6 and 7. The fall happens. So when she saw all these things that I just mentioned, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. I want you to know between those phrases is a huge gap. Not of time, but, but mankind hung in a balance. Remember I told you that Adam was created the federal head of all mankind. 
And what he did decided for us what would happen. Not Eve, Adam. Eve was first in the fall, but she was deceived. She, she let Satan make her doubt. She engaged in conversation. Listen, when the devil comes and he tries to talk to you, just don't talk to him. Rebuke him. And Jesus, even, the Bible says in Jude, even Michael the archangel would not fight with the devil over where they buried Moses, but said, the Lord rebuke you. He didn't even rebuke you. He said, the Lord rebuke you. Remember that same Satan fought with Gabriel when he was sent to Daniel to give him a message. And for 21 days, Gabriel could not overcome Lucifer. And so he hollered, Mike, I need some help. And Michael the archangel came flying and said, I got this one, you go. And he took over the fight. Those angels are overpowered sometimes by Lucifer. It takes God's authority to stop him. And Eve ate, but she was deceived. She was fooled. If Adam, I believe, if Adam right in that moment had said, no, we are not doing this, that God would have honored that and everything would have been okay. But notice the man was with her. Here's the question, not why didn't Adam do something there? Why didn't he do something when the serpent first started talking? Why didn't he rise up, put on his big boy britches, cowboy up, whatever you want to say? And say, get out of here. No, God told us not to do it. We're not doing it. But Adam passively let Satan and Eve argue. And then after she ate it, I, I don't know what Adam was thinking. I can't assign a motive to him either because the Bible doesn't give it to us. Other than she ate it. Maybe he looked at her and said, whoa, you didn't drop dead. <laughs> I thought you were going to die. I thought God would make me a new one, you know. Maybe he thought, well, I don't want to make her angry. I'll, I'll eat it with her. <laughs> Who knows? But there was something there. And Adam took it and ate it. And boom, they both died. But they're looking at each other and nobody dropped dead. They've never seen death. They don't know what death really means. But in that moment, their soul died. They were separated from God. And God is going to have to pay a sacrifice for them to be restored. That's next week. We'll look at how that promise comes about. But look what happens. We know that they were altered in that moment because verse 7 says, Then the eyes of both were opened. They knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Literally, it was fig leaves. And they did sew them together and covered themselves because they realized, Woo, something's going on here. I don't, I don't know what that means exactly, but they realized, Whoa, they are no longer innocent. They are no longer... Innocent in God, with God, and man sinned. And it's going to take death, someone to die, to pay for this sin. And God's going to start illustrating this right here next week. We'll, I'll show you that. But I, but I just want to help you a moment. If you are caught in a sin, the only place you're going to ever get freedom is in Christ. The only place you will ever get help is in Christ and I want to encourage you today to go to him and confess confess means to agree with to say I know that this thing that I've done is a sin against you and don't look at the sin look at the cross because your salvation and your forgiveness is bought for you on the cross and you look to the cross and you say you died there for what I did my sin is why you were nailed there 
And I accept your sacrifice for my sin. And then turn, turn away from the sin already and run to the cross. And ask him to fix it. To save you if you're lost. Ask Christ to save you. But to ask him to fill you once again with the Holy Spirit. To refresh you. To empower you. The Holy Spirit came. The difference between Adam and us is we now have God living with us. To empower us not to sin. I'm not saying you can achieve sinless perfection. But what I am saying is you can resist temptation. The Bible commands it. The Bible commands us not to put ourselves in a place to be tempted. Don't make allowance for sin, it says. Don't put yourself in its way. Don't get where you will be tempted. If you've got a particular problem, stay far away from that problem. A wise man once said, a lot of people want to see how close they can get to sin without sinning. I want to build a high wall with barbed wire and broken glass on top. I don't want to get close to it. There's, there's an old illustration, and maybe you heard it, but I don't know. I've never, I hadn't said this one in a long time, so you never heard from me. But there was a man living on top of a mountain, and he was a rich man, and y'all understand mountains, right? <laughs> and he needed a driver that could drive him down the road. So he put advertisement out, and he had several guys show up, and he had, I'll say, four guys. And he, he said to the first one, he said, I want you to drive me down here. And he said, see that curve right there? That's the most dangerous part of this road. How close do you think you can get to the edge without going off? How good a driver are you? First guy said, I can get within a foot of it, not go over. So that's pretty impressive. Look, second guy said, how close do you think you can get? said, a foot, I can get six inches away and not go over. Asked the third guy, man, how close can you get and not go over? And the third guy said, they're amateurs, man. Ever heard of Mario Andretti? Rank amateur. I can go an inch from that edge and not fall off. He went, wow, that's really cool. Looked at the fourth guy said, how close can you get? He said, close. Man, I'm going to stay as far away from that thing as I can. He said, you're hired. <laughs> We're always seeking how close can we get. How close? Man, get away. It's deadly. It kills your soul. It separates you from God. Stay away. And God has given the Holy Spirit to those who are saved that we might have the power, the strength to say no. But our holiness, our righteousness is not in us keeping the law. Our righteousness is we are clothed in His righteousness alone. We sang about it. The Bible teaches that. And it is Christ's righteousness in which we are clothed. You don't have enough righteousness to get through that. So quit struggling and release that to God and say to him, I need your help and he will empower you. And listen, God's got other tools to help you like Christian brothers and sisters who won't condemn you but will help you and walk you through it and help you to stay out of it. But the lust of the flesh, our physical appetites, the lust of the eyes, what we see and we desire that God has not said we could rightfully have, the pride of life, thinking that we can handle it ourselves when we can so what can you do? Well, first of all, I'd ask you the, one of the most obvious questions. Where are you reading in God's Word right now? Where are you just going through systematically reading God's Word to get to know Him, to understand what He's telling you and teaching you? If you don't have a place, I would encourage you to pick a book. You know, pick a book and read through it. Get a notebook. Write notes about it. Ask yourself questions. Ask questions that maybe you can't answer and find the answers. Or ask somebody where you can find the answers. Or ask somebody to help you with the answers. And get into God's Word so that you can fill your heart and your soul and your mind with what God says. And then, never debate whether to believe God or a liar. I mean, it's just that simple. 
I, I'm telling you, I've got that personality where I want to answer the question. I want to win the argument. I will argue till I'm blue in the face because I just want to win the argument. You know? But don't, don't get off the stool in a ring with a champion. I would have never, even today, I would not get in a ring with Mike Tyson. I mean, I know it's been a long time since he could do anything. I hope he's still alive. I don't even know if he's alive. I'm sure he is. I can guarantee that boy still tear me up. So why would, you, why would you enter into a discussion, a fight with the devil when you know he can whoop you? Do what Michael did. Back off and say, Lord, rebuke you. I don't want to mess with you. Go away. In Jesus' name, leave me alone. Don't let him draw you in because he's the father of lies. He's a liar from the beginning. And he comes to seek, kill, and destroy. Now, there are those that have doubts that need answering. I understand that. But no doubt is answered till you have, fully answered till you have faith in Christ. And that's when the answers really come. And then thirdly, know that Jesus is our victory over sin. I've, I've already kind of said that, but I want to say it very clearly. I want to read you a verse in 1 John 5, 5. It says this. For every, well, in verse 4, For everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? And so, know that Jesus is your victory. He is the one that enables you and has forgiven you and gives you the Holy Spirit so you have power on this earth. Listen, we have the Scripture, which is God's information. This is the light in the dark, but we also have a personal presence in the dark. The Holy Spirit is with us. We live in a darkened world. Amen? You agree with that? We live in a darkened world. And we see it growing darker every day because the end is getting nearer and nearer. You need God's light and God's presence to overcome. And Eve forgot both. God was going to show up in a few hours. He came every afternoon. Said, I tell you, what, why don't you ask him what he said? <laughs> but she didn't. And Adam didn't either. And Adam fell and he broke God's law. And all of us have been born into sin since then, and we need a Savior.